All right, back for another week of the podcast. By popular demand, hopefully. Oh, there's been a lot going on in the last few weeks since we've seen each other. Yeah, there is. Definitely a lot to talk about and catch up on. We'll we'll jump into that later, but first we wanted to acknowledge a lot of the um, feedback that we've received. Yes, we have, which has been great. Of course, only the positive feedback. Yeah, naturally. I deleted and blocked a lot of the (laughs) negative stuff and there was a lot. Um, Yeah, no, it's been really great. Thanks for reaching out, guys. We did set up a, a social media account on Instagram and then it got taken down. And yeah, it was reported for being potentially inappropriate content, which I is very surprising it, considering our normal Instagram accounts. Uh, well, I think it was linked to, to your account and maybe some of that cultural appropriation <laughs> <laughs> that I had shared. Um, but yeah, no, we can't get the podcast up at the moment, but we'll let you know the, the account, the socials account. Yeah, yep. we can. I've got some feedback. I thought maybe we could read out some of it. I got a couple of nice things. Someone wrote, uh, love the podcast, both episodes that are on. Really appreciate your honesty and vulnerability. What do you think about that? Do you feel like we've been vulnerable? Oh, sorry. That was one that I posted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do our own yeah, reviews. burner accounts. <laughs> yeah, that's, to- how, that's how you have so many Instagram followers, uh, right? And I think it's true. I think um, people have really responded to how vulnerable you were last week, talking about your experiences growing up in this country. And yeah, and then my episode as well about coming out. I think the format of the podcast is evolving to be kind of like the first part, little bit attempting to be funny. And the second part, like quite intense DM chats. Yeah. And I think the name of the show really captures that around, you know, we need therapy and we're both very passionate about mental health and the, the journeys that we go on and really encourage people to explore that side of themselves as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Some feedback that I did get was around us both being males and the issues that we're facing. I don't know what you think about it, but maybe we should have a female on and, and talk about some of the experiences that they have. True. Or we could just do what all white cisgendered men is just assume the opposite sex and just be the voice of both. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Why don't we have someone on that we just talk over the top of them yeah. the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. Or maybe one of us, you know, in the future might be non-binary or trans, in which case, you know, we could... We've ticked all the boxes. I think we tick a lot of the boxes. We're definitely missing that, um, that box, though. <laughs> But um, yeah, absolutely. We could do that. Did you have any feedback that you wanted to read out? Yeah, I was quite surprised by like the the people that have listened and reached out. People that I haven't seen in quite a while. Yeah, it was a very hard episode for me to record last week. And it definitely went places that I didn't expect it to. Yeah, very dark and scary. I was kind of aiming for lighthearted and then all of a sudden we dipped <laughs> and that's well below a, the rainbow. More of a reflection of your interview skills more than anything. But <laughs> That was a car crash. Yeah, a few people were quite triggered by it and very shocked about uh, how things like that could happen in modern day. But I actually got a lot of messages from people who are Asian or half Asian and listening to the podcast, they've reached out and said, oh, actually those things do happen to me. And uh, I'm surprised because I thought, you know, I was the only one that it happened to, so... Yeah, which is just, like, harrowing to think that, yeah, one, it happens at all, but two, it's so much more common than we want to acknowledge or even realise. Yeah, yeah. And um, m- most of it, people enjoy the piss take of my life and... Oh, absolutely. I mean, that is a car crash in itself, <laughs> like, kind of in slow motion. I can't keep my eyes away. Especially the uh, what would Jordan do scenario. Oh, yes. Should we get wristbands made up? <laughs> WWJD. 
Yeah, well, there was that, what would Jesus do? Okay, that's a big comparison. No, no, they literally had the wristbands. And it's I, the do, same no, I do remember that saying. Initials. Yeah. Do you think I'm the second coming of Christ? Uh, I, yeah, the, the camp version of God. Oh, he was pretty camp in Old Testament. There was like some <laughs> serious like Avengers shit going on with like the locusts and the... <laughs> Was he, like, doing Captain Planet? Remember yeah, yeah. The, the water? There was Noah's Ark? Like, kind of multidimensional. It's true, actually. Yeah, it is a bit marvel It's just kind of like me. I feel like my humour is kind of multidimensional. Yeah, what special talents do you have, though? Um, okay, this is a good one. What are my special talents? Um, I can swim really fast in short distances. Like really? 25 metre freestyle, you would never beat me. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. I'm very quick in the water. When was the last time you've been in the water? I didn't know you could swim. Oh, I do hydrotherapy oh. when I teach my clients. Does that count? <laughs> that would be great. Imagine if I got one of my clients from like basically just being able to walk around to doing like shark boy and lava girl time <laughs> swimming, just smashing it in the pool, which is actually not very safe because you're not meant to put your head under those hydrotherapy pools. No, I've they... seen your hydrotherapy sessions. They are not safe. No, absolutely not. But what's like, what's a skill that you have? Maybe a hidden talent? Um, I mean, socially, I feel like I'm pretty competent. That's a skill in itself. I think you're competent at promoting yourself. <laughs> That's all I've heard on this podcast it's constantly. These are my skills. I'm quite flexible. What, did you come up with that yourself? <laughs> After mine? Really? This is such a reflection I also, of our I also can swim very quickly for 26 oh, metres. Go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. This is so us. So, anyway. So, you don't have any skills. Okay. So, we did that. Um, we've had an upgrade. We're recording in a new premise, aren't we? Yeah. Well, the, we're in someone's house and the owners aren't here. <laughs> You've got a balaclava on, so I think I've just got a heavy, dark eye makeup. No, we're, um, we've moved from North Perth, kind of where you are, is that North Perth area. We've come to the, the elaborate tree lush scenes of West Perth at the moment. And we'll be straight back to North Perth next week. <laughs> I, was say, I don't think anyone cares about where we are. <laughs> so. But it is really echoey, so. It is quite nice here. We're, for context, we're in um, Jordan's partner's house. I'm currently in their bed. Why are you naked? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, it, yeah, no, it is very lush. We've got the... I mean, it's a pretty messy room at All the right, moment. I'm bored of this. Let's move on. I'm no already bored of this podcast. <laughs> Can we end? So, what's been happening the last few weeks? Um, uh, I had a yeah. busy few weeks, actually, settling back into the routine of life. What's happened with me? Um, nothing much, just almost died. That was about it. Oh, here we go. Well, I mean, this isn't even an over-exaggeration, unfortunately. But yeah, no, I have been in hospital and yeah, I've been pretty sick. But we thought we would... That kind of got me thinking about times when you've had kind of near-death experiences. Yeah, so we'll delve into that in a bit because I want to unpack that. There's nothing to unpack. Just a brief eight-day stay, including ICU. It's very <laughs> little trauma. So <laughs> let's go into something uh, a bit more lighthearted. So have you Near-death experiences. Yes, yeah, near-death experiences and peeping across the curtain to the other side. Have you ever had anything where you've thought for a moment like, oh, this could be it? Well... It's not a near-death experience, but it was very confusing at the time. Okay. A few years Sexuality-wise? <laughs> a few years ago, I don't know if you remember this, I ended up in urgent care one night because I was pissing out blood. So you couldn't even make it to ED? Yeah. You couldn't even... Not didn't even, even that qualify. serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't even qualify for ED. Wait, was the urgent care... Is that where rich people go when they don't want to go to ED? Yeah, it's basically like... Yeah. What were you doing there? <laughs> 
<laughs> I have family. <laughs> Supported financially. <laughs> Just like it's you basically are. basically my life. Yeah, that's why we're in this house right now. <laughs> Can you get that champagne for me, yeah. please? Yeah, so... Uh, all I remember is I was watching this football game and my team was losing and it was a final and they lost and I got so angry that I just needed to go for a run. And if anyone's seen pictures of me, I'm not a fit person. Like, and I do not go for runs. Okay. So I went for a run. A bit like the biggest loser marathon yeah. or like... <laughs> That's a terrible Come joke. on, man. We can't add fat people to the list of... <laughs> people that don't support this podcast yeah. or think we're going to get cancelled. No, I loved the biggest loser. I think they should show. bring it back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think they stopped it because... Controversial. The, the fact that people were being entertained by watching fat people lose weight yes i think there's okay. a whole mental health side of things there and right yeah it seems like a really dangerous topic now i've got nothing to say <laughs> i fully support whatever you anyone believes okay moving on. <laughs> whatever anyone puts in their mouths <laughs> ew okay so you so i remember going for this run and then like 10 minutes into the run my bladder just felt really full like i needed to pee which when okay. you're running is very rare because you're sweating out and you don't usually need to pee I remember it got to the point where I couldn't run anymore and I had to walk because it, my bladder felt like it was on fire. So I ended up going home, dropped my Dax and just paid like, I reckon, two litres of blood. Ugh, Jesus. Yeah. Content warning? Someone might be like, like basically eating their breakfast. I think this podcast is a near-death experience for everyone. <laughs> oh, God. So what happened? I- In the end, what was the outcome? No idea. No idea. Oh, you randomly just peed blood? Yeah, yeah. And so they sent me to urgent care and then I kept peeing blood for a few hours. And the next day I woke up, it was gone. You didn't have that beetroot smoothie before, did you? No. Well, the doctor was like, have you been sexually active? And I'm like... Oh, oh. definitely not. Oh, I, I, was, I got quite excited when I was peeing blood. I thought it might be chlamydia or something. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, that means I must have had sex recently. Wait, if you don't know if you've had sex, I'm thinking that's some sort of sexual assault issue, which is definitely not fine. Right, we're not touching on that. So many things we can't touch on this episode. And why is your hand on that? That's what I want to know why you're touching that to begin with. <laughs> oh, oh, God. But yeah, that was my near death experience. Yeah, that, that is... Um, yeah, no, that sounds like a serious medical issue. I don't think I've had um, any crazy near-death experiences. I have been hospitalized a couple of times, three times for broken arms. Oh, really? I broke my right arm twice. The first time was the most serious. I was trying to do some tricks on a trampoline, went a couple of meters into the air, landed on like a wooden sleeper kind of pole, like a big thick, yeah, arm went straight down, snapped it in half, basically. That was pretty serious. I had the full cast from the wrist all the way, like past the elbow. Anyway, that was two days before we flew out for like a 10 day holiday in Bali in in their summer. How long ago was this? Oh God, it was like 20 years ago. Anyway, I broke the other wrist when I slipped over at school and then I broke the same arm again when I was swinging on a vine, (laughs) acting like George of the Jungle. (laughs) And again, um, fell from a meter or so and just snapped that arm. There you go, near-death experiences. We've yeah, totally know. butchered this topic. Well, I mean, like, I feel like near-death experiences slash medical abnormalities. Okay, we probably should have said that at the start. <laughs> yeah, but let's... let's. These are use. the most... These, both these stories that we've just said are the most lame stories. I got bored of my story halfway through. I didn't Me even too. listen to your story. <laughs> <laughs> you broke 
broke your arm like big fucking wool. I broke fucking three arms. <laughs> so arms. give me a break. But yeah. Oh, oh. What? What are you thinking about? I I don't know if I should tell this story. Just tell it and then we can. It's another it it's out. another medical related story. I've told you this before and I'm actually a bit scared to say this because it's very personal. Just tell it and then I will tell you. My reaction will tell you if we'll keep it or not. All right. It involves a female. Wow. That's the first time I've heard that. (laughs) I think it was about two years ago now. We had a night out. It was someone's birthday. We went karaoke and there was a big group of us, but there was this extra person who was a friend of a friend that came along. Anyway, we got really drunk and I ended up hooking up with her. Wow. That's an abnormality in itself. (laughs) So, took her back to mine, and at the time, I had my friend Paige living with me, and my friend Grace was crashing at ours as well. Those poor people. So, this was at my old house, where I had, like, a little balcony. Me, the girl, and Grace were sitting there. Anyway, Grace is a bit ditzy. Me and the girl started hooking up, and Grace is sitting there just watching us, like, completely in her own world. Wow, this is, like, pre-OnlyFans. Yeah. She was, like, going straight to the content. If anything, she should have paid for that. <laughs> An experience that not many people get to witness. I think mentally and psychologically, she did for years after. <laughs> that's, that's, therapy's anyway. expensive. I was like, Grace, what the fuck are you doing? I ended up going back inside. I texted her from my phone being like, we're just about to hook up. Fuck off. Right. She got the text message. She ran away. It was me and the girl in the bed. We started hooking up more. My eyes are just wide. I'm wondering what, how deep you're going to go. Oh, not that deep. It's not that big. <laughs> just, just the few inches. Just the tips. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we, we didn't have sex. I'm just going to preface this story by saying that. Okay. Because she was on her period, which, again... Cut yeah. that information out. <laughs> yeah, go on. So, you didn't have sex? No, no. So, because she was on a period, she's like, oh, like, uh, I don't know the logistics behind it. This is probably why we need a girl on the podcast. Absolutely. But we couldn't have sex for that reason. So, anyway, she proceeded to give me a handjob, right? Jesus Christ. And I don't know if it was the angles or just the way that we were positioned or whether she was just terrible at it. It honestly was the worst handjob I've ever received in my life. And that's the first and only one. <laughs> so, you've got not much to compare it well, to. I've got this hand and the other hand to compare oh, it true. to. Mate, talk about special talents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how, like, so why is this handjob so bad? Oh, it just, you know, Tarzan grip. Like, oh, it she got did to- the power grip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not got- the pincer grip. <laughs> Which is what you normally do. Yeah, yeah. It got to the point where I had to stop and then go into the shower just to, like, relieve myself because it was that painful. Jesus. Anyway, I get back into bed. We're just, like, lying there. I'm still in pain. And then I hear this, like, on the door. And it's Grace. And she, she's like, oh. oh. She wants to go as well. <laughs> she's like, oh, I'm a bit anxious. Can I come in? And I'm oh, like, God, fuck me. So, anyway, the three of us are lying in bed. Grace ends up FaceTiming one of... My other friends, for, for whatever reason, so they were talking and then I was talking and while they were talking, the girl reckons, oh, this is kind of hot. Let's go for round two. Oh, God. So, she proceeds to go for round two while Grace is next to her. Do these people know about this, that this event happened in their presence? Oh, I actually can't remember the name of this girl. Grace knows. She loves the story. She thinks it's hilarious. Oh, of course she does. She was bloody doing the OnlyFans yeah. content before, <laughs> kind of... With her own eyes. So, anyway, round two hurt even more than round one. Wow. And I couldn't say anything because, you know, Grace was there and I was like, oh, this is kind of hot. I'm turned on. But oh, my God. On the other hand. I'd like, be vomiting in the corner. Get me a bucket. I was like, 
dead still, trying not to scream. It was that painful. And that's your near-death experience. Fast forward, oh. next day, she ended up going home. Um, I paid for an Uber. Ooh, I wake chivalry up is not dead. <laughs> well, I just wanted her to leave because I, I did not want around three. <laughs> I went to the shower, looked down, red raw. Really? Burning, like skin peeling. It was so you did do it on the period then? <laughs> oh! Oh, cut that. You My have God. to cut that out. That's so gross. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that is terrible. Only a gay man can say that. Well, I don't even it. know. Like, I've got no... All I know is, like, Hollywood movies about, like, that kind of stuff, periods. I don't <laughs> even know what happens or what you so do, anyway, what it looks like. It was that painful that I felt like I needed to do something about it because, you know, it's not meant to look like that. Well, no. And so, I decided, I was like, oh, what do I have in the house? I was like, oh, I'll put some cream on it. And I've only got, like, two different creams. One's, right. like, your, your face cream that makes your skin super soft. Well, that's what you need. And the other one is, like, a cocoa butter gradual tanning cream. Definitely not that one. Guess which one I use. Well, I'm thinking it's cocoa butter. My dick was so brown for about <laughs> two months after that. Is that, like, doing blackface? <laughs> that is, like, culturally, you are, you know, you're Filipino, you're downstairs. They're a completely another region. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what Filipino people look like downstairs. <laughs> How is this a near-death experience? I was terrified. That was actually so traumatic. That was more traumatic than pissing blood? I think so. Both my ex- near-death experiences have related to my penis, which is very weird. That's a big part of your personality. Well, it's just not a big part of your point? body. <laughs> Do you think our listeners are sick of smut now? Oh, honestly, let's bring some class back into this podcast. Okay. All right. <laughs> let's talk about actual near-death experiences because mm. you were in hospital for eight days. You've been out now for almost a week. I've seen you a few times, but we haven't really talked about it. Yeah, that's But I was true. quite concerned when you were in hospital. Yeah, we should say that this near-death experience is now <laughs> not a laughing matter. But um, yeah, pretty serious. So... Yeah, I, um, I've i got my piece of paper here that, that says kind of what I had. Your discharge summary. My discharge summary. Yeah, so... Um, here, give it here. Let me have a read through oh. while you set the scene. So, it actually happened after the recording of our last episode. Yeah, so... Th- yeah, that's right, actually. Um, after we recorded the last episode, I started to feel really ill. And within 12 hours, I was feeling absolutely terrible. I went to hospital in an ambulance and I went to ED and I had a plethora of things wrong with me. So, it says sudden. here you were presenting with shortness of breath, coughing, diarrhea, vomiting and fevers. Yeah. And you were in on the 7th of January. It's going to read everything verbatim. <laughs> Just do the problem list. Okay. Let, let's, I'll, I'll read out the principal diagnosis, sepsis. So, you went into septic shock. Yeah. So, could you explain what that is? Yeah. So, I had a virus that progressed to the point where yeah, it started to poison my blood. And basically, I got a lot of systemic things wrong with me. So, there was kidney damage. Yeah. Um, you got, you I had, had sorry, I'll read it out here. Pneumonia, human meta pneumovirus. 
Acute kidney injury, hypomagnesemia. You're butchering it. <laughs> Sounds like a bloody Harry Potter spell. <laughs> it is. So, um, yeah, basically I yeah, I felt really unwell after the last podcast. Within 12 hours, I was basically in an ambulance heading to hospital. I got to ED and I had a few things that were kind of bothering me. I felt pretty cold and clammy and I was really dehydrated. So they put me on some fluids and they did a few tests and they decided to keep me overnight just to kind of monitor me. But um, I did have some heart abnormalities. So basically the resus team kind of burst through the door and yeah, I spent the next 12 hours in ED with a lot of people running around trying to work out what was wrong with me. Um, We found out that my blood pressure was really low, kind of dangerously low. So I couldn't feel my hands or my feet oh my God. and my whole body felt really cold and clammy. So yeah. So what I had was sepsis, which is blood poisoning. We didn't know it at the time, but I had kind of two viruses in my body and two bacterial infections. Do you remember what those infections were? Yeah. So I had something called, the virus was called human pneumovirus there was a couple of um, infections that were like on the less severe side. So one was like E. coli, which people have when they go traveling. It's like just yeah, yeah. gastro basically, which is pretty uncomfortable. But it was the viruses, I think, that had progressed to the point of, yeah, poisoning my, my whole body. Oh my so God. yeah, I had some kidney damage. I got pneumonia. I uh, couldn't keep my blood pressure up. I had like a lot of pain. But yeah, it was, and I had some, they were looking at endocarditis, pericarditis. I had some inflammation around my heart. Yeah. So yeah, it was. So you were were in hospital for eight days. Were you conscious or do you remember much of that time? Yeah. I remember pretty much everything from the moment I got to ED to my discharge. I probably, um, yeah, it was only when I was sleeping. Yeah. But it's not like I I didn't pass out or anything and they didn't put me under an anesthesia or anything like that. So. Because I remember texting you quite a lot during the week and you'd always almost be sleeping the whole time. You were just that fatigued. Like, I guess there's parts of it that are a bit foggy. I suppose when I was in recovery, yeah, I suppose I did sleep a lot. It's pretty hard to sleep in hospital, especially when you're in that kind of intensive. I was in ICU at one point. So you basically, the rule is you're basically one-to-one nursing, which means if you're in the room, your nurse is right there by your side. Yeah. They do such aggressive monitoring of your body that basically are constantly monitoring your oxygen, your blood pressure, your heart, lungs. They've got machines everywhere. So So is is this the first time you've been in hospital? Yeah. First time as an adult. Yeah. I was in and out of hospital like every year I'd be in for about a week with my asthma. Yeah. My asthma was a really big problem when I was younger. Uh, but this is the first time I've actually been in hospital as an adult and yeah. it's very different. I'm I'm so curious because I've, I've never been in hospital before and us being health professionals, you know, we've had experiences with hospitals and some positive, some negative. We hear a lot of stories from the people that we work with about their time in hospital. Mm. What was it like for you as a physio being in hospital um, getting treated. Did you have a good experience? I did. I, I, so I was in a, I won't say which hospital I was in, but I had amazing care. Yep. I had great um, doctors, nurses, everybody was fantastic. Because I've done my training um, in an inpatient setting and I, at one stage I used to be able to do, you know, read bloods and follow 
summaries and be involved in acute settings. Like uh, that part of my brain was awake from the moment I got in. I was looking at whatever investigations they were doing. I was asking questions, trying to work out the norms for the the ranges I'd all Mm. like forgotten previously. So I was really monitoring my situation. Um, So I think I was asking a lot more questions, but it made me feel a little bit more like confident yeah there was a point where we were discussing a few things i thought it could have been like a pulmonary embolism had to go for a ct scan i remember um i was kind of not suggesting but just kind of probing their diagnoses because we they didn't have any idea i mean nobody did for the first 12 hours yeah so yeah i think having that background knowledge made me feel a little bit more confident in what was happening to me yeah yeah once i turned that corner and i started to get better I just became really impatient for a discharge because I knew that medically I was on the right track and I knew from a physio point of view, um, mobility-wise and independence-wise, I could manage at home. Did you have a physio come see you? It was a close call. So, no, I was able to do a lot of the breathing exercises, the airway clearance exercises, that kind of chest physio myself. Yeah. When I was recovering, I was able to stand and walk again and I made sure I did like all my exercises so i didn't have a point where a physio needed to come in and help me but um i was actually deliberately hiding from the physios on the ward because i was pretty confident that if i yeah was face to face with them i would have known who they were and that was true when i got discharged it was actually one of my friends that was the physio on the ward so yeah it would have been awkward because you're basically trapped in a room you live in just like a pair of daggy underwear and like a hospital gown that falls open like at a moment's notice yeah yeah. it's not a position where you want people to see you what about other allied health did you i mean you're you're typically quite dismissive of ot's (laughs) did you have one come out and see you they didn't even bother to check on me i think my handwriting was fine throughout all of it so like yeah didn't didn't need the ot thing Um, what else do they do? Bit of transport training, get on the bus, do the smart rider. What about a bit of community integration? Because clearly that's something you're lacking in. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I was pretty bored. I was on um, droplet precautions, so I was in a solo room. Oh. And if a nurse or a doctor came in, they had to glove, gown, yep. mask, yep. and then a face shield over the top of that. What was that like? Um, frustrating, because when you push the call bell... Somebody has to then do a full PPE yeah. fit out to come to you. So it takes quite a while. Did it feel like I've, I've known people who have been in droplet precaution wards before and they always say they, they feel like they feel disgusting because no one can come in and see them unless they're fully like, I don't know. Did you ever get that experience? Not really. It was just more irritating that um, I felt bad that the people that were looking after me and are basically saving my life were so restricted Mm. with yeah the access to me or at least it just took them extra time so what about having to be in a room by yourself for eight days i mean you're a very social person yeah absolutely terrifying i did i I should say i did have a few people come visit me as long as they yeah kind of did the precautions yeah no that made me feel a lot better actually (laughs) um Yeah, there was a lot of moments, especially after kind of day two or three when I was getting better. The nurses and the doctors, they don't don't come and see you if you're on the track to recovery. So apart from your medications, you just don't see anyone. Mm. Um, Yeah, I spent a lot of time looking at the clock. Yeah, how do you occupy yourself? Uh, Because you have no solitary activities that yeah i don't my my whole interaction is is based on people so 
Yeah. Um, really difficult. Super difficult. There was a lot of thoughts going through my head at that point. And just to be alone with them was, I would say, scary. Mm. Um, I noticed that I was kind of sending messages and kind of reaching out to people. But the the tone of it was like more like accusations as opposed to like oh god that's why i muted you for messaging me. <laughs> i thought there was a reason <laughs> yeah no i just i don't even know how to describe it and i have actually spoken to my therapist now about that period of being alone is mm. something that i've always struggled with and i know that we've spoken about it as well so yep. it was kind of something that i was worried about and that you know it kind of came true do you have any reflections about that after talking with your therapist? Not so much that part of it, just that it's a goal that I need to work on. Because at the end of the day, well, one thing that my therapist said is that, you know, in life, no matter how many people you surround yourself with, like, you will always end up being alone at some point. Oh, absolutely. And that was, yeah, just something that, that they said. And the other thing they said was that, you, no matter how, this is like really dark as well. They said, no matter how close you get with someone, whether you're married to them or it's your best friend or your family, no one will ever understand you like you understand yourself. So you'll always feel that, that piece of you that's alone. Yeah. And I think that kind of really hit on something. I was like, Oh God, brick wall, like bang. It's funny. Cause we, we've had these conversations before around being okay with your own company and it's something that I've been working on over the last few years. And I've been telling you my stories about that. And you were saying, yep, this is definitely something that I need to do as well. But there was just no motivation for it six, yeah. 12 months ago. I feel like it's a goal. It's a pipeline goal that I know it exists and I acknowledge it. I know I'm terrible at it. But sometimes I'm just like, oh, I'm having too much fun in my yeah. life being surrounded by all these people. And it's really fun. And then something like this happens where you have no control. So, do you feel like after this near-death experience, you're more motivated to explore that a bit more? Yes, but I still don't want to. Yeah. I know I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, but I still don't want to. And I don't know if a part of me ever will, but there's loads of things in life that we have to do that we don't want to. Mm. Yeah, anyway. So, apart from that, um, people often talk with near-death experiences that an experience like that can change the way you look at life or the way that you perceive things. Has that happened to you? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, I did a lot of... it, It didn't happen overnight, though. Like, when I got discharged, a lot of people kind of said to me, do you feel different or what do you think will happen differently? And... For the first three to four, even five days, I couldn't think about anything but just trying to recover. Mm. When I first got out of hospital, I could walk and I could walk like, you know, a couple of hundred meters, but my legs got shaky and I can't stand for too long. Otherwise, I felt a bit ill. I've been out of hospital now for eight, maybe days, maybe nine days, and I've gotten so much stronger. Yeah. Once I started to feel better, then I could like physically, then I could focus on my mental state. And I did realize there's a lot of stuff that I needed to change. I did a lot of reflecting about like where my priorities are and where my health is and that I need to start paying more attention to that. And yeah, I guess there's a lot of stuff that I'm still considering. But one of the things that I was thinking about was just where I need to sit in my priorities. Yeah. Me versus my friends, me versus my relationships, me versus my family. Yeah. 
yeah and just kind of elevating that portion of myself my yeah. priorities which is different to the entitlement schema that you experience though yeah that's kind of yeah yes and no like my therapist says that the entitlement is like a coping strategy mm. so i don't like yeah i kind of put myself first and believe all this stuff about myself but it's like it's not real that's a strategy that i'm using just to protect my vulnerability yeah as opposed to like actually elevating my priority being myself uh, okay so i, I think that. The, like it's a bit more authentic to yeah. truly believe you deserve this yeah as opposed to just having this like armor around you that's like oh yeah i'm amazing and i'm better than you yeah which is like i don't know such a it feels like such a horrible thing and it's so funny when actually just going back to where my therapist and did and I did my schemas or my coping strategies and all of this, like he said to me, like, there's no right or wrong coping strategies to have. And then proceeded to tell me some of the worst things I've ever heard about myself in my whole life. I remember one of the sentences that came out with entitlement was you believe that your opinion is the right one at the expense of all others and you will fail to consider anybody else. Which just sounds like quite a negative thing. I mean, yeah, it definitely sounds negative, but I, I can see aspects of that historically through working with you. Yeah. Not which, towards me. Which makes me feel even worse <laughs> that that's true, that that rings true. Yeah. But that's just something I do when I feel like I'm vulnerable or that I'm worried that I'm not enough. Mm. It's like I just go full, yeah, the other way. So you've been seeing a psychologist how long now? Oh, I've been seeing him for um, oof, probably like, yeah, coming up to almost 12 months now. Yeah. It's expensive and he's very busy. So, like, I don't... It's not like I'm seeing him weekly. Yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. probably like every third week. But, yeah, I've been seeing my guy for a while now and he's really good. Yeah. That's almost perfect timing that you could see him after this whole experience of the last week. Yeah, it was quite lucky. There's been a lot of things like flying around in my head and it's it's funny like when I have a session with him it, sometimes I have a plan of what I want to talk about and sometimes it's just like my head feels like a solar system and things just bouncing around can you help me to just think of one thing or yeah. straighten it out yeah so can I take you back to this whole you know near death experience and being in ICU at what moment during the eight weeks there did you realize holy I was there shit for eight days. Yeah, did I say it? You days? said eight weeks. <laughs> it felt like eight weeks because you weren't in my life. Ugh, can't even say that without smirking. Um, at what point in those eight days did you realize, oh shit, this is actually really serious? Yeah. Well, when I went to hospital, as I said, I thought I had like gastro. I thought I was just dehydrated. Yeah, you told me it was just gastro and I was like, oh. I felt really ill. Don't get me wrong. I felt like, oh, shivers, this is bad. Yeah. But if you've ever had gastro, you kind of think you're going to die anyway. It's That's terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I got to ED, some assessments happened. And then when I told I was going to resus and into the ED um, space where it was right next to the station, the registrars and I think a consultant came out to see me. I thought something's happening. And then they did a scan of my heart at the bedside called an echo. I was constantly probing the registrar, the doctor who did it. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? He didn't answer until a lot of the members of the team came back. And I think he said, the echo doesn't look good at all. Um, And that was the moment when I knew that it was serious because um, 
It's you know, not what you want to hear from it's not, any doctor. I think anyone knows that the heart's pretty important. Yeah. That's an organ that you need to take serious consideration on. So, they told me the next step was to put in an arterial line, which is when you put um, a, a line straight into an artery, which is pretty serious because normally when you're in hospital, you get them into your veins. So, your veins are um, pretty easy to put a catheter into because they're not under a lot of pressure. Yeah. The arteries, they go straight, they're coming straight from the heart. So they're full of blood. And when you have to pierce one of those, you have to get a doctor with a bit of experience because it can go wrong. But it also means that a lot of medications can get around a lot quicker. And there's some medications that you can only give through an artery. But when I was doing my physio um, training and I was in hospitals, I remember when someone had an arterial line it means that they're pretty sick. It means that they're going to um, cardiology or ICU or an area of the hospital where you've got people who seriously know what they're doing. So the moment they put that in or they told me, I um, I mean, I just cried. Like, yeah. I what cr- was the thought that was going through your head in that moment? Uh, holy shit, what have I done, basically? Like, what's happening to me? Um. I think the moment, yeah, they told me they were doing an art line. I said, but I'm only 30 years old, which is like pretty hard to even say now. Mm. Um, Yeah, it was like, but you don't realize I'm only 30 and I haven't done anything wrong. Like my body is supposed to be functioning. Yeah, it's it's healthy. Like I go to the gym like four or five times a day. I don't eat a lot of fast food and um, I don't do like drugs that would affect it in this way. Like, I don't understand. I'm not a crazy drug addict. I don't, I don't even know. Like even now I don't know how to articulate it. I think it just goes to show the seriousness of the infections that you've picked up. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, um, yeah, I remember I had a nurse who was really nice. Um, she held my hand a lot when they were talking about the things that were going on with my body. The other thing is when you get an arterial line put in, they have to dim the lights and they put like a special, um, they use a special light to visualize what they can find. And you have to be really still when they give you a pain injection. And then they basically try and find the artery and it takes a while. Like it can take up to five minutes mm. with they're basically sticking something in you. It's just, you can kind of feel it, but you can't. And I couldn't look at it and it's just freaking gross. And it actually took them three attempts to get the line. Is it in painful? You. you can't feel it. Cause they put a local yeah. anesthetic in your body, but like the idea of someone stabbing you with a pretty big needle, and having gross. to do it three times, you so. can kind of feel it and it's not nice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like you have a, a newfound, respect for people that end up in hospital or even the people that we work with and what they go through. Yes. And yeah, to an extent, I always knew hospital was a pretty dodgy place. Not dodgy. It's not a place that anyone wants to be in. No, I knew it wasn't fun. I will say there is a person that I know who's been in hospital a lot and I think back to them and the experiences they've had. And I guess I, yeah, for that person, I've definitely got a newfound respect because, yeah, they've dealt with this before and I've dealt with it now and it sucks. 
it seriously has big implications on my life and the way that I think and the way that my body moved and responded. And yeah, I would say that, yeah, anyone who deals with this is, yeah, they've, they've got a lot going on. Just on that, do you have any lingering effects physically from that? No, um, I've repeated a lot of the scans and assessments and they've all come back normal. Um, yeah, so I've been really lucky. Absolutely, yeah. Sepsis is not something to skim over. No, no. Thinking back to the, the key moments of like, yeah, just that moment when I brought my hands to my stomach and it was cold. Like I've never had poor perfusion in my, um, or blood supply in my hands before. I know some people do, but like when you've always felt your body warm your whole life and you bring it and it's cool, it's like, well, like that's not meant to be cold. Mm. And I couldn't feel them. I couldn't feel my fingertips. Could you eat or anything? Uh, no, cause I was throwing up cause I was like, basically had gastro symptoms. Yeah. So yeah, not good. So how did you keep up your fluids and your... IV, everything was IV. Yeah. I mean, I had, as I said, I had four ports in me that were running like IV antibiotics, fluid. Um, I had a chemical called noradrenaline to keep my blood pressure up. Um, yeah, there was a lot. There was one stage where I was on eight hours of IV antibiotics per day. So like, yeah, that's a lot. I just can't even imagine just being in that room. 24 seven mm. for eight days with your body failing you. Mm. I was really, um, I was really lucky and also proud of my body. Like it went through a lot and, um, I was unlucky to get what I did. You know, I was traveling with people, um, who didn't get any of those viruses or, or yeah. whatnot. So you definitely got it from Bangkok. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, how long's a piece of string? Like, I had the virus after I went to Bangkok. Yeah. Is it possible I got it in Australia? Yes. But I had symptoms pretty much from the flight back to, to Australia. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I'm, but I'm most proud of the way that my body has reacted to the treatment. And I actually only needed that life-saving drug for like 15 minutes or something. Like my blood pressure returned back to normal straight away. Mm. And yeah, everything just trended trended down till it was like normal levels. Yeah. I was really lucky. Very much so. And I think it really highlights how lucky we are in this country to get, you know, that primary health care, to get really well looked after. And Yeah, definitely. It's scary to think from my end that, you know, things could have been so much different. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think I realized how ill I was until I started to get better. I remember the doctors came and saw me and were... I could see they were relieved in their eyes and that kind of scared me because I realized that, yeah, they were worried. There was one point when they were worried. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky. Well, we, we have a habit of, you know, doing episodes and ending them in a real depresso yeah. mood. So thank yeah. you for continuing that trend today. <laughs> I know. Can we get some dark comedy in here? I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it is. The positive is that I've walked away from this. Oh, absolutely. Like, with no long-term, like... Complications. Com complications. And that I'm super proud of my body for coming back and 
basically just surviving. That's that's <laughs> all I'm that's all I'm looking for. Why I call you the cockroach? Ew, that's so <laughs> gross. But no, thank you for sharing your story. And yeah, it was a, a very scary time for um, not just you, but the people around you that really care for you. And yeah, definitely, we're very glad to see you come out of this uh, a changed man and, and you know the fact that you're healthy and well it's it's yeah yeah i'm very very lucky and i had so much great support when i was in hospital um my family were amazing my partner's incredible um friends reaching out all the time and just yeah even like my bosses and the ceo of the company that i work for is pretty cool that everyone yeah, it was really touching mm. how they all came together. That's so, nice. That's nice. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my story. And that's the end of the episode today. We are really blown away by the amount of people reaching out to us on socials and we're having a good response with this podcast. So, we're going to be releasing episodes weekly for the next few months. And then after that, we might have a break and do maybe another season if anyone is listening to this. And if anyone has any suggestions or, or content that they'd like us to explore. Or- Keep it to yourself because we know exactly <laughs> what we're doing. We've only got two microphones and two very big anchors. We talk over each other. A little what did you say? I couldn't hear you. I was talking. <laughs> anyway, should we do your famous sign off? All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Ciao, ciao. Ugh.